Man, I uh, I enjoyed preaching this morning. Um, it's just fun talking about how great God is. Uh, and you start thinking about how good He's been to you personally, and it starts getting a little bit more. Uh, go ahead, if you would, turn over to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Daniel, chapter 3, tonight. be honest, I've been kind of unsure of what the Lord wanted me to do tonight, so I think this is it. So if not, I'll, I'll try again. We'll just preach a second one after this, so if you didn't like this, we'll stick around. Uh, no, I think, I think this is it, and uh, it's strange because uh, we live in a world today that uh, constantly, I would say constantly, uh, bombards us and ridicules us in their own way. And it's a constant of pushing against the truth of the Word of God. And you get into Romans chapter 1, and I promise this does have something to do with the message. We'll get there. Um, get to Romans chapter 1 in a world that hears the gospel, right? It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew verse and also to the Greek. And he talks about how we could uh, go ahead and know the Godhead. We recognize God. The invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Goes on to talk about, and of course I'm free quoting some of this here, uh, but he goes on in Romans chapter 1 and he talks about how that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Uh, but became vain in their imaginations. And they decide they're going to worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. So God gives them up and gives them over to a reprobate mind. And he chooses to allow them and they have chosen to go down that path. And they choose the things that are not convenient. And it talks about all the things that you and I have to uh, obviously have noting of in a world where it's things that are completely inconvenient. And go to a place that is ultimately reprobate. It is abomination in the eyes of God. And the things that they choose and the sin that they try to partake of. And all these things that show up. And the ideas and the uh, false narrative and the terrible, awful things that they have decided that they could push upon and lean upon. And act as though they are okay and go ahead and have you bow to those things as if they are supposed to be right, is the world that you and I live in. We live in a world where the idea of someone taking a stand and just saying a truthful statement based upon fact, based upon science, that's actual science, based upon truth, is thrown back in their face as something that is hate and violent. Uh, by the way, speech is not violent. You hurt my feeling. That's not violence. Violence is when I grab a bat and I hit you with it. That's violence. Violence is not I said something you didn't want to hear. It's not violence. 
Uh, you've been conditioned, the world conditions people to say, well, words are violence. They're not violence. The free exchange of ideas is perfectly acceptable. The problem with the world today is they don't like the idea of a free exchange. If you don't agree with them, then you are wrong and you need to be silenced because you are terrible. That's the world you live in. Now I preface all that because we're going to get to Daniel chapter 3. And if you know your Bible, Daniel chapter 3 is a rather important chapter on this subject of what happens when everybody else goes crazy. And that's truly what it is here in the chapter. So we'll start in verse number 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth three, uh, thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors and captains, the judges and, the, tre and tre uh, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sagbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall, fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now the world goes ahead and uh, out comes Nebuchadnezzar. Now the children of Israel, in case you don't know the first two chapters of the book, right? The children of Israel have gone into captivity uh, in Babylon. They are taken captive. Uh, the choicest of them have been put into uh, this, this special group and they're going to go ahead and get trained in the ways of uh, ultimately the Chaldeans and they're going to be put into that in that respect. They're going to get special learning and training. They're going to get the king's meat. They're going to be taken care of and, and they're going to be uh, brought through. Now, Daniel, of course, is one of those special ones. There's in particular, there's four of them. Uh, of course, here they're called Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Uh, of course, we know them as Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And they get exchanged out. And these are their Chaldean names, the Babylonian names they were given. Daniel always seems to be called Daniel instead of Belteshazzar. But uh, Daniel here... Uh, I believe he's present here. I believe he's not required to bow. You say, well, why do you say that? Because all of the important folk that they listed 
were told to stand before the image. And all the nations were told to bow. See that in the passage. That's pretty easy to see, right? Uh, we read it. Uh, they're supposed to stand there. So they're kind of exempted from the bowing portion of this moment. So he's probably there and he's probably standing and there's absolutely nothing he can do for his three friends here. Uh, but that does not change the command that has gone out. And the command that has gone out ultimately is that the nation, ultimately everybody in the nation has to go ahead and bow to whatever the king has decided that day. It's ultimately the whim of a king who has power. Uh, by the way, you're living in a day where people are overabundantly feeling of entitlement and power. And they feel like on a whim they can change whatever it is they want to change and you have to submit to that idea. The sad reality is that most people now that if you were to go ahead and have to deal with such things, uh, sadly it's affecting more and more and more people because of the foolishness that has been allowed to continue and continue and continue. And so it leaves people with the idea that, well, if I want to change my pronoun or my name or the way that you call me or whatever else, and I feel like an orange cat with, uh, you know, a president's cap and you have to call me the most handsome cat alive, that you have to do that. That's the world we live in. And if you don't do that, then obviously you hate me. When is telling somebody the truth the reason that you hate them? But the world doesn't want that idea. They want to push that away and they want to tell you that you're terrible and you're mean and you're awful. Now, the world has always had some sort of a ridiculous command that they want you to bow to. Here it's Nebuchadnezzar with a golden image. And when we play it, you got, when we play the music, you got to go ahead and worship. The world today is all sorts of things. They go ahead and they throw out all these ideas and if you don't agree with me, then you have to, you obviously are awful, you're terrible and they go ahead and they tell the king, hey, they didn't bow. They didn't bow. And I'm not going to get into that. Good night. I want to real bad. This is the world that we live in. We live in a world where the on reasonable men are running the show unreasonable people with unrealistic expectations and completely and utterly false ideas of truth that have taken the truth of God and changed it into a lie and have tried to make everything into whatever it is they want to make it and then they look at you and they say well you have to bow to that I don't know about you I'm not comfortable bowing to that. Many people struggle with this in some of their family members and lost family and lost friends. And some of you go to public schools or colleges and some of you go and it's permeated that society. And then the question comes, well, what do I do? I've been asked that. What do I do? I never thought there would come a day when I would have to look at somebody and they ask me, what do I do when somebody wants me to call them something completely ridiculous? 
We live in a world where people don't get help. They get encouraged to continue down a very terrible road. Now, I'm purposely not getting into too far of these things. I hope you understand that. I'm trying not to. Okay? So, parents, bear with me. I'm, I'm really trying not to go too far. I've alluded to enough that you know what I'm talking about. There's other things besides that, but this seems to be something where I don't think we're going to have it just go away. It's gone too long for it to just disappear and act like it doesn't exist. And there's plenty of other things that you and I in years past would have probably said that's going to go away and then we found that it didn't go away. Foolishness that we thought, there's no way anybody could think like that. And here we are. And we're way past all those things. Say, why are you preaching this tonight? I don't know, but I don't like it. I don't like that I have to. I don't like the topic. I don't like the idea. I do love the truth of it. And so tonight, tonight I'm going to preach on this uncompromising trio. And I've preached on this before, but this is going to be a whole lot different of an angle tonight. And so if you would, just have a word of prayer with me and we'll, we'll look at Daniel chapter 3 and these three young men. Because the same truth is there for you that it is for them. And so, Father, I thank you for the night and I thank you for your goodness. And, Lord, I think of this as a heavy topic. To me, it's heavy. It feels weighty tonight. And so, Father, I do pray that you would help me to convey it well. I pray it would be a help. I believe there are people in this room tonight that are dealing with these things outside of Father, the people in this room, they're probably dealing with things in their extended families and friends and acquaintances are having to deal with it. And maybe some are getting asked, what in the world do I do? And so, Father, I do pray you'd give me wisdom and help me not to say something I shouldn't say tonight, that it would be, Father, the right thing in the right way and in the right time. And Lord, I pray that you would get the praise, the honor, and the glory tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Daniel chapter 3, of course, the decree goes out and they have to bow to this uh, image, this, this picture of what they're supposed to bow to, right? The image of gold that's been set up. And now here, here it is, and now you have to bow before it. And most of the time, you know, if you're, if you're in here, I'm assuming, I'm going to make a pretty big assumption. Most, if not all, of the people in this room of age are probably saved. They know that for sure they're going to heaven. And if we were to walk up here and we were to put, like, you know, a statue up here, and I told y'all you had to come down and bow in front of it and worship it, y'all would throw me out the doors, right? Uh, as well, you should hit me off the metal door a couple times before you actually get it open, okay? Uh, that's what ought to happen, right? The idea is if you bring a, an idol into the church and you have people worship at it, that you're, you're an, an idolater, you're uh, ultimately spiritual adultery, you ought to throw them out of the building and you ought to kick them a few times on their way out. And they go ahead and they set it up. Now, what the world does is they always use an image. Interesting. Not necessarily a statue, but it's an image of what they want you to worship. It's an idea. It's a sentiment. It's a thought process. 
It is, by the way, the creature over the creator. Romans chapter 1 is still holding true. It has yet to fail us. And they go ahead and they corrupt everything and they go ahead and try to make it an image. And when they do, they make this ridiculous idea. And you and I know far better than to go ahead and give in to that idea. But what they tried to do is they tried to dissuade us from going ahead and making any type of a stand. Now, interestingly enough, notice what they say about these fellows in verse number 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the, the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, or worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Now, first of all, I want you to see about these three men. They were silent on the matter. The decree went out. They didn't bow. But they didn't say anything. They say, you mean they, they weren't outraged? They probably were. But you know what they were smart enough to do? They were smart enough to not just run their mouth, just to run their mouth. I would encourage you, don't get yourself in more trouble than you need to. You know, sometimes we have trouble because we engage our vocal cords. I do it. Before our brain kicks in and we don't realize the ramifications and the damage we're about to do to somebody. Now, we may hurt the testimony of our own. We may hurt the testimony of Jesus Christ. We may cause a big old problem that we didn't need to cause yet. Don't get ahead of yourself and put yourself in a bad position. Say, what does that mean? That means you don't have to destroy relationships and friendships just because. Say, but yeah, I see something wrong. Absolutely. Don't worry. Everybody knows where you stand. You know, it's funny. Nobody had to question where these three guys stood. They just noted that the three guys didn't seem to bow when everybody else did. Say, so what does that mean? That means when they want you to do something... You just don't do it that way and you do it silently. You just don't give in. You don't have to say it. You don't have to acquiesce to that idea. You don't have to carry on about it. But you also don't have to yell and scream about it. Because sometimes yelling and screaming will cost you. Now, I say this with respect to the, to, to the whole, trust me, I'm against it. But how many times have we spoken up at times we shouldn't have spoken up and it cost us dearly? That's why he reminds us that a word fitly spoken. That's why he reminds us that in a multitude of words there wanteth not sin. We get running real quick to talking and we get ourselves into trouble. You have to be very cautious. You realize that 
In Matthew chapter 26, in Matthew chapter 26, when Peter is there and he is about to deny the Lord three times, the reason he had to deny the Lord three times is that everybody recognized who he was and who he was attached to without him having to say anything. He had to deny it and he got himself in trouble. There's the problem. The problem is he started talking. <laughs> if he'd have just left it alone, he would have been sided with the right one and he never would have denied Christ. Everybody knew where he stood. You realize you get to those mighty men and those mighty men are standing there and some of them are literally standing there and the army is coming toward them. They didn't have to look for a fight. They didn't have to say a thing. The enemy knew who they were. You realize nobody, if, if they already know you're a Christian and you're already a witness, you know what you don't have to do? You don't have to say anything about what they do. They already know that you don't agree with them. It's amazing how they already know that you don't agree with them. Almost as if they're doing something against God. You realize hey, there are certain Jews. They knew who these guys were. They also knew they were three of the guys who didn't eat the same things that we ate and they didn't do the same things that we did. They didn't really like the idea of doing all the stuff that we were doing before. And now they won't even bow. You don't have, you don't have to sound off. They already know. You can be silent because they already know what you believe and what you're supposed to hold to. It is amazing to me how lost people sometimes know better what a Christian is supposed to believe than Christians do. It's amazing to me. Most people know if you say that you're saved and you believe in Jesus and you go to church that you're supposed to live a certain way. You're not supposed to be down at the bar and you're not supposed to be gambling and you're not supposed to be smoking and you're not supposed to be... And all the things you're not supposed to... They know all the things you're not supposed to do. Why is it you don't? And nobody had to tell them. You didn't have to stand up and go, I'm against gambling. They already know where you stand. So why you have to... You don't have to do it. So, well, my silence will make it seem like, no, it won't. Agreeing with them will make you agreeing with them. I'll give you a wonderful piece of advice right here. In so much as life within you live peaceably with all men. They're wicked. I know they're wicked. I know they're wicked. So is the rest of the world. You realize you have no problem walking into Walmart? I know it hits closer to home when it's family and it's friends and it's people you have to deal with personally. I get it. I understand it. But sometimes it's better to stay silent because I already know where you are. And they expect you to fight it. They expect you to be mean about it. They expect you to sound off on it. And to harp on it over and over and over. And go ahead and hold your torch high and stand on your soapbox. That is what they expect. The world expects us to do that. And I'm not saying there isn't a time nor a place. Don't worry, we'll get there. 
But that shouldn't be our first answer. Our first answer does not have to be to stand on the soapbox and proclaim how great we are. Because we're not great. If you don't believe me, just listen to the morning message. Notice in verse number 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake unto them, uh, spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do, you not, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, See, they're not silent anymore. They said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and, full, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should be, heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and other, their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now you have the men and they're brought before the king. <coughs> Excuse me. Ooh, sorry. And the king's rage and fury meets them. And his answer is, all right, we're going to do this again. <laughs> now it's time, we're going to do this again. And they said, don't even bother. It's basically the answer, right? Don't, don't even bother. You don't even have to strike up the band, king. I'm not worried because I'm not going to bow. They were silent at first, but now they're just steadfast. These guys realize very quickly that now they've been asked the question. Hey, what do you think about? Hey, why don't you? Why is it that? Strange. Christians will go about and they will gladly say certain things and they'll gladly answer other things. But then someone asks them, well, why? And they suddenly become very careful to answer. They weren't careful. 
There will, be, there will be a time you will have to answer. There's a time you'll start silent, but there's going to be a time you'll have to answer, and it'll have to be a steadfast answer. And the answer will be, God says this. You realize I could argue all the logical points of how foolish people's opinions and thoughts and feelings, and you can go ahead and do that. I find very quickly, though, that the Bible makes sure that you and I don't have to do that. You know, the best argument that you ever have is the Bible. It's the Bible. Well, why don't you believe? Because the Bible says male and female created he them. He made two people. One was a man and one was a woman. And they weren't confused. Well, how come, how come you can't? Because that's all it said. That's what it says. Well, why is that wrong? Because God said that it was the natural use of the man and the natural use of the woman. And I can go ahead and answer that question. Well, uh, what if God made a mistake? He didn't. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Well, then who made the mistake? Somebody else did. Say, who is that? Whoever messed up your thinking did that. Because the Bible makes it really plain that God made you, and he formed you. He designed you. And that he is your creator and that he designed you with a purpose just the way that you are. And you can prove that from a Bible. The world today has plenty of foolish ideas. You know what they would love? They would love nothing more than to push you into a corner and make you lash out and act like you're angry and frustrated. And that's what they want. Because that makes you look terrible. Who's the person who's full of fury in the passage? Wasn't Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. It was the king who couldn't get his way. Just think for a minute. I know that's tough. It's Sunday night and it's almost seven. All right. Think for a minute. When you get angry, are you probably right? Nope. I know when I get angry, I'm probably wrong. Right? I'm not the Lord, so my anger isn't very justified. Usually the justification is I'm going to prove my point. Right? We get it. What's the world trying to do? Just trying to get you angry? If I can get you angry, you'll react. You'll say the wrong thing. You'll do the wrong thing. You'll push the wrong way. Well, then what should I do? Respond with the Bible. The Bible says this. The Bible says this. The Bible says this. And over and over again, the answers come. And they don't come from you. They come from him. Well, why won't you? Because the Bible says this, and I just can't do that because I, I stand with the Bible. I stand with God. 
and it doesn't change that I love you. You know, the oddest thing is that most of the people that you end up dealing with, most of the people in the world, you know what they're looking for? Anybody to love them. They're looking for somebody to love them just like they are, and the reason they're trying to make a change is because they don't feel like they're loved. They don't love who they are. They don't love anything about themselves. They want to make a change because somebody has hurt them, so they don't want to be that person. They want to be a different person so that they can escape the pain and the anguish that they've had to deal with, or they're going ahead and making changes because they want somebody to accept them and a group to accept them, and they want this, and they, want, and they have no idea that God would accept them just the way that they are. They don't need to make a change outside of changing and turning to Him. Outside of deciding that He can rescue and save and do because He is the wonderful and amazing and great God that I know He is. These three men are so calm and so confident and they don't even care what happens. You say, well, I could lose some friends. I could lose some family. I talked to that young man this morning. I talked about how God loved him. And I watched his, his eyes well up just a little bit with tears. The fact that God would love him enough to die for him. I talked about his love and the price that had to be paid and the whipping and the scourging. I talked about what Jesus Christ had to go through to pay the debt of his sins. We get all the way down. He's getting ready. I mean, he's close. He's right there. He knows he's got to choose. And you see it on his face. Anybody who's ever witnessed to somebody knows they're at the spot where they, they know everything. They believe it. Now they got to do something. They got to ask for it, they, right? They got to receive the gift. And he was right there. You know what he said? He said, I got friends that are atheists. What would they think? Now, I had already done my wonderful, most of you know my check illustration. If you don't, I'll gladly tell it later, all right? I won't do it right now. I said, man, and I purposely used, I didn't use Bill Gates, and I didn't use one of those crazy, I used Elon Musk, right? You say, why'd you do that? I did it on purpose, and the Lord knew, because I did that. I don't know why I pulled that name out. I've never pulled his name out before to do that, but I did it this time, and the Lord knew, because we got all the way to the end, and he said that, and I said, okay, okay. What do your friends think of Elon Musk? And he said, well, a couple of them like him, but most of them really, they don't. And I said, okay. What would they think about you taking $1.3 million from him to pay all the bills for your entire life? Oh, well, I said, okay. Would you still take it? And he said, well, yeah. And I said, okay, why wouldn't you take Jesus Christ paying all the debt of your sins? Isn't that better than paying your bills? He said, yeah. Yeah. Christian, it's a question of who you want to stand with. It's a question of who you want to stand with. You realize that the people in your life, I know you don't want to hurt them. You love them, you want to take care of them, you want to help them, you want to help them understand, but you compromising and going their direction does not help them. It doesn't help them as a loss, right? You're not going to go down to the bar and go drinking with them to go win them. You know better than that. 
So why acquiesce to the other things they want you to? Why give in to those things when, they, when you know it's just going to hurt them more? When the one person who's giving them the truth, when the one person who is standing there as a sane, saved human being is standing there going, don't go that way. God doesn't want you to go that way. He loves you. Yeah, but they could. Anybody could. You realize the reason the prodigal had a place to go home to was because the father never left the house. He was there to come home to. He was there as the only place that young man could go and he knew what the father's house was going to be like when he got there. They have bread enough to eat and to spare at his place. Hey, I know if I go there, they've got love and they've got love enough to spare for me. I can get back there and even though I've messed this up, I can come somewhere where they do love me. They loved me enough then to tell me the truth. They'll love me enough now to bring me in. You say, yeah, but it hurts. I know it hurts. To lose people you love out of your life because they decide they don't want you around because they don't want to hear you or because they don't want to deal with you. You realize Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're about to give their lives to refuse to bow to an image. And they are unflinching and unwavering. They are so steadfast at this particular moment that their answer is, I'm not even careful. I'm not even worried about what I'm about to say. I'm not bowing. You don't even have to hit one chord over there. You might as well just march us into a furnace. Because we're not doing that. No matter what the outcome is, the question is not if you love them or not. The question is, are you going to stand where God wants you to stand or not? The king is so furious, he allows his own soldiers to die. By the way, when you stay calm, collected, and answer with scripture, you know what you get? You get to be calm and look sane and normal, and they always look like furious, crazy people. Everybody can try to make you look bad at that point, but they're the one yelling and stoking the fire seven times hotter and killing their own people. To win at any cost. By the way, this King Nebuchadnezzar right here, you know what he reminds me of? A spoiled brat. Well, if you're not going to do what I said, we're going to... Whatever I say has to go. That's the mentality of a world today. Children who've never had any control. Anyways. Say, man, you got all of this out of Daniel chapter 3. Help us. They're a silent trio and then they're a steadfast trio. Verse 24, we're getting to the good stuff now. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was a stoning. And rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king, 
He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. And they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire, and the princes, governors, captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. This is a safeguarded trio. You realize that the, the world tried to bring judgment and the judgment of the world didn't make any difference. Now that doesn't mean that they didn't go into fire. They walked into the fire. It doesn't mean there wasn't danger around them. It doesn't mean that there weren't things happening that they didn't like around them. It meant that God was protecting them no matter what they went through. Whatever was going on, whatever was happening, whatever needed to be done, God was right there making sure that everything was fine. Say, well, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen if I do these things. I don't know what's going to happen if I'm steadfast. I don't know what's going to happen if, I'll tell you what, it'll be better if you're steadfast than if you're not. Because when you're steadfast, it gives God the chance to safeguard everybody. It gives God the chance to go ahead and make it secure and safe and protected. And these three men walk in there and it's as if nothing has gone on. They walk in and the ropes get burned off and they're like, oh, well, that's nice. Thanks for that. The men who wanted to bring judgment and go ahead and shove them in, they're all dead. Here they stand and they're like, boy... Kind of, kind of nice in here. And then the fourth man shows up. And all of a sudden they have the Son of God standing with them. By the way, if you're not going to be steadfast, don't expect the God to show up. Why should he? You want to be faithful with him? You want to walk with him? You want to be with him? He'll be there. He'll be there. You want fellowship with him? Well, then you've got to walk in the light as he is in the light. And you'll have fellowship. And he shows up when all those things are going wrong. When you think everything else has gone terrible, when everything else has gone crazy and the world around you wants to put you in a fiery furnace and nobody else really wants you, they're safe because a fourth man shows up. Like unto the Son of God. And they may have fallen down in the fire, but now they're walking with the shepherd. They may have went inbound, but now they're loose with the liberator. They may have went in all alone, but now there's a fourth, the good shepherd that giveth his life for the sheep. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. There's no time like a fiery furnace for him to show up. He often likes to show up when you and I are in a whole lot of trouble. He always seems to be at his best when you and I are at our worst. When it looks the worst, God's like, don't worry. 
I was just taking a nap in the boat. I'll be up in a minute. That's just the way. We're sitting there in a storm going crazy. He's like, don't worry. I'm just going to walk past you here. Oh, you want me? Okay, I guess I'll walk over here. We're like, oh, hey, uh, carest thou not that we perish? Of course we're not perishing. Don't worry, guys. I got this. This is nothing. He's a great God. You realize that when you do things the way he asks you to do them, all the safety is based upon him. All the security for all of those people that you love, all the safety for all the things that you want, and the relationships you want, they are all dependent upon him and his good pleasure as opposed to you and what you can manufacture. You and I try to manufacture it and make the right words and try to snake our way through and try to be as slick as we possibly can so that nothing can stick on us. You realize that's more like the devil than it is about your God. You start getting subtle. You realize the worst first time subtle is used in the Bible is the devil. He beguiles Eve through his subtlety. Christian, you're not supposed to be subtle. You're supposed to be the truth. That doesn't mean you have to be me. You're supposed to have your speech grace seasoned with salt. You're not supposed to be a two by four to the face. Don't get me wrong. But you're not supposed to be all slick and trying to slide your way through and act like nothing can touch you. The truth is you'll go into places where it should touch you and God says, don't worry, I'll protect it. And they walk out and they walk out so well that not even smoke is on them. He didn't singe one hair on their head and he didn't get any smoke on their clothes or anything else. They are so well protected in there that it's the same to them inside as it is outside. They don't care. Wherever we are, it doesn't matter. Why? Because wherever I am that he is, doesn't matter. It's just as good as anywhere else. Just as good as anywhere else. There's a song called, How, I think it's How Tedious and Tasteless the Hours. When Jesus no longer I see, sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim, the fields strive in vain to look gay, but when I am happy in him, December's as pleasant as May. There's another line in there and it says uh, that prisons would palaces prove. If Jesus were with me each day. Doesn't matter if I'm in a prison or a prison. As long as he's there. As long as he's there, we're safe. We're secure. We're taken care of. Your relationships will be all right. Because God is taking care of everything. Last thing. I know this has been pretty heavy tonight. Verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree 
that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. And their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You know what's amazing? There's the statute because of these three men that goes out. The decree that he goes out and publishes. You know, it's strange because when you get back to verse number 15, he asks them a question there at the end of the verse. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar asked the question. Who is he that's going to go ahead? What God do you have that's going to take you and save you from me? God says, oh, he's asking for me. I suppose I'll show up. The Lord steps down he shows up. What Nebuchadnezzar said there in verse number, uh, what was that, verse 26? Hey. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, you servants of the Most High God. You know, he suddenly realized he was not the Most High God. There was somebody better than him. The sad reality is that most people will figure out far too late that God is real and that God does love them. But oftentimes it's far too late because nobody was willing to say anything or stand. They started off as silent when they were supposed to be silent. But when the question came, they stayed careful and they didn't answer. And they didn't give them the scriptures. Instead, they gave them their opinion. Or they tried to be sly about it and they tried to sneak their way past. So God couldn't safeguard anything and then God never got a statute put out. That he is the God of all the universe. And that he is the one who can go ahead and command the nations of men. We miss out when we're no longer steadfast. We miss out when we speak up and we should have been silent for the moment and wait for them to ask the question. They ask the question and we get too careful and we don't say what we're supposed to say. We get ourselves in trouble. Then we turn around and instead of being steadfast and standing on what God said, He can't safeguard us. So then we get into trouble because He couldn't safeguard us. And now things are based upon our own volition and our own greatness. And we fail and we fail and we fail it. And it destroys not just ourselves, but it destroys the opportunity for God to be able to make a statute and a judgment and a proclamation in their life that there is a God that is high Higher than anything that they had ever thought of before and that he is the creator of the universe and he made them the way they were supposed to be made and he can now get the glory out of their lives that he hadn't gotten yet. Hey, what are you trying to get at? I'm trying to get at the thing that we oftentimes miss is that the final picture is not about you and I and how great we look. It is whether or not God will get glory out of it or not. Can he get an opportunity for them to see the truth, acknowledge the truth, and turn to the truth? So 
So you made all that sound really easy. If only. But that's why be careful for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. With much prayer and much trembling. You can get to the place where you are no longer careful to answer when they ask the question. You'll be no longer careful to worry about what they're thinking. You go ahead and just give them what God's thinking. You do it as nicely, right? In so much as life, then you live peaceably with it. Try to do it as best you can. Because the world is absolutely insane. It is absolutely insane and disgusting what they're doing. And the things that they expect you and I to bow to is absolutely ridiculous. I know I hit on some crazy issues tonight. It doesn't just apply there. It doesn't just apply there. There's things in your life where the world is pressing on you to bow to what they want, whether it's in, in different areas of music or lifestyles or uh, things that you do day in and day out. And the thing, There's always pressure on us. There's, the world is always pressing you to go ahead and bow to some weird image that they want you to get to. All right, That's not an exclusive thing to some of the things I alluded to tonight. In all of those cases, that's the formula right there. Don't go along with it. Stay silent. Walk your course. They start talking about it. You go ahead and put it down with the Bible and go ahead and stand and stand and stand and stand and stand right where he puts you. Stand, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Stand. How many times does he tell us to stand? Just stand. And when everything else falls apart around you, it's God who's going to go ahead and take care of you and keep you at peace in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace regardless. It's his job to safeguard us. And he has yet, he has yet to lose anybody. You realize that? He hasn't lost one yet. And if you're willing to, it gives him the stage to be able to set out a decree so that he gets all the glory. That's the goal. The goal is to give him an opportunity to get glory. An opportunity for him to gain the victory needed so that you can give him all the glory. Let's go ahead and stand. Tonight was a whole lot different. Definitely not my normal Sunday night message. But it's something real I think people are stuck dealing with. And they're dealing with it day in and day out. Some of you are dealing it with, with family. Some of you are dealing it with friends, school, work, all these weird things. You say, what do I got to do? Try to do it as right as you can. Try to be at peace with God as right as you can. Tonight, maybe you're not saved in here. I don't know. I think everybody is, but I don't know. You never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can call upon Him today. 
We'd love to show you out of the Word of God the truth of the Scriptures. Maybe the world's pressing on you tonight, Christian, and you know it. Maybe you need to just say, God, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. Or God, I'm sorry I haven't been as steadfast. Maybe I haven't been as silent. Maybe I haven't been. I want you to get glory. Help me get you glory. Give me wisdom. We work in a world right now. We live in a world right now where we need a lot of wisdom. I'm highly concerned for my kids, let alone all of yours, in the world that they're going to have to grow up in if the Lord tarries. The world that you and I look at, that's a scary world. But to God, He can get glory. Father, I do pray that you would bless the invitation now. Work in our hearts. Lord, I do pray that you would get the glory. I hope this was a help tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.